bitch. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Hey everyone, what is up? It is me, Ewan, and welcome to a new episode of the We Love Dad Movies podcast. This week, we're diving into the first of our big 30th anniversary kind of, not specials, but just episodes, because I don't know if you know, 1993 was kind of like a killer year for the dad movie. Um, And I didn't know where best to start this one. We've got lots of different things planned for this year. I've kind of, during my time off work, I've been like diving in and arranging a grand schedule of different things to do this year. It's not grand at all. It's quite mundane. But anyway, lots of great movies that came out in 1993, one of which was Last Action Hero, which I've seen many times. It's um, not one of my favorites, but one that I really do deeply enjoy. It's from John McTiernan, who, as you all know, I love. Um, And I thought this would be a good opportunity to show Zan a movie they hadn't seen before. So please welcome Zan to the pod. Long time no pod. Also, I've just committed a murder and I'd like to confess. They like to confess. Hey, we are you trying to sleep in? <laughs> we also have another special guest today, which I feel you need to talk about. Oh yeah, um, I got, when we were in Glasgow the other week, I, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll be aware that I went into a shop and I made eye contact with the most adorable, adorable man ever. Um, and by man, I mean a cuddly, plushy popcorn toy. Um... Done by a a jelly cat? Jelly cat is the brand. Yeah, um, and it's just a a stripy bag of popcorn with fluffy popcorn at the top and little tiny cartoony legs. And they just captured my heart instantly and I was like, I'm going to get him. And folks, my mental health has improved. There's a graph somewhere in the cosmos and taking him home... My my mood has skyrocketed. Yeah, he sits next to our TV. Um, he looks exactly like those old uh, cinema commercials where it's like, let's all go to the lobby. Let's. It's very that. Yeah. And we called him Vinny after Vin Diesel, the movies. Yeah, because who? Vin Diesel is our greatest ambassador for the movies. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's technically the first time we've had two guests on the pod. True. Yeah. Do you have anything to How- say, Vinny? Oh, well, I'd insightful comments. On <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Last Action Hero. Um, watched it, uh, rewatched it um, last night. Um, my first rewatch in, I'm going to say, about a decade. It's been a very long time for me since I last watched this film. Um, something I've always enjoyed, despite the, the big narrative. We've talked about the narrative before in We Love Dad movies, how um, when a movie comes out, and it gets a tidal wave of kind of like just negativity that it's easy to then snowball into and kind of basically um, preload opinions uh, as the years go by. And I kind of feel like Last Action Hero is one of those movies where it didn't do great when it came out. It was savaged by critics, um, kind of got lumped into the canon of Schwarzenegger's decline in the 90s after, you know, his his dominance in the 80s and really culminating with Terminator 2. Um, and to me, it's always been this really fun send-up and send-off to 80s action cinema. Um, for those who don't know, who haven't seen Last Action Hero, I would fully recommend you do watch it. But uh, anyway, here's, here's a, brief, a brief synopsis. So basically, it focuses on a young boy played by Austin O'Brien called Danny. 
Um, and he basically, he loves the movies. Mm-hmm. He loves the movies. Loves them too much. Skips school to go to the, the pitches. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he is living with his mum, um, who's a widow. Um, so the father's not there. And he goes to the movies. Like, he's the coolest kid ever, basically. He goes to the movies to hang out with Bob Prosky, uh, who's this old um, cinema owner, projectionist. Um, it's like a, an old theater that's very run down. He's clearly only opening it because he really likes this kid coming yeah, in and watching. And movies. it's seen better days, but you can tell that when you step into the theater that it was once a grand, bustling, you know, the thing that we want all theaters to be. There's a great home of community and and just wonder and awe. And even when Danny steps in and there's graffiti everywhere and the wallpapers peeling, he steps in and sits down, his bucket of popcorn, and he's like just immersed. He pro- just completely. So he's a huge action movie fan as well. And his favourite action movie series is the Jack Slater series. Led by none other than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who's referred to as Arnold Schwarzenegger as, uh, yeah. in, in, in the canon of the universe that yeah. we get on to. So Arnie plays both Jack Slater and Arnie. Because of course he would. Because Arnie in the movie plays Jack Slater. But anyway. Um, what happens is he gets the Jack Slater 4 is coming out mm-hmm. soon. And uh, Bob Prosky's like, hey, I've got an early cut. I'm going to demo it and preview it and see how it's doing. And he's like, do you want to come? And he's like, well, sure, I'd love to. But he gets told not to. And anyway, uh, the house gets broken into. A traumatic incident for young Danny. He then returns to the theater and Bob presents him with a magic ticket given to him ostensibly by the great Houdini. Um... And Danny's there, he, they, they peel the ticket back, um, and as he's watching Jack Slater 4, um, the ticket activates, and he ends up getting sucked into the movie. Well, he doesn't get sucked into it, a piece of dynamite comes out of the movie, <laughs> and then he gets sucked into the movie, and it's, um, yeah, so it basically follows that, they have to team up, there's a lot of meta commentary about action movies, the action movie genre, 80s tropes. Um, Hollywood in general cinema um, and then kind of these fictional characters reckoning with some interesting um, truths uh, <laughs> and it leads to really fun kind of like consequences and, and kind of like flipping the whole thing of a real person going into the fictional world and then fictional characters coming into the real world and um, yeah it's it's I'm a big fan and I was pleasantly not pleasantly surprised but I was very happy to when we watched this last night, you were having a great time. Yeah, whenever you described this movie to me and you were like, oh, people do not like this movie. But when you described the plot to me, I was like, this seems like a great time. Um, and the movie definitely has flaws and half-baked, I don't like using that term, but like not fully realised ideas. And it's trying to do something bigger than what it is. Because bear in mind, this movie is like two hours long. Mm-hmm. And it manages to fit both going into the movie world and also going from the movie world back into the real world so it does both of those elements kind of akin to roger rabbit-esque mm-hmm. um but it doesn't have the time to fully develop ideas and this movie went through a lot of rewrites a lot of writers everyone from um uh, shane, shane black, black yeah. carrie fisher william uh, the, goldman yeah a whole bunch of people coming in and it's one of those things of too many cooks in the kitchen um and this movie didn't do very well when it came out, partially because it was up against Jurassic Park in the box office, but partially because it tested very poorly with audiences as well. Probably because they saw Terminator 2 and were wanting more of that. Um, but it got it ahead of its time with its meta commentary. You know what it is? It's know? like not to, you know, it's, it's kind of Back to the Future when Marty starts playing like Van Halen adjacent rock and all the kids are not liking it. And he just goes, well, 
you weren't there for me, you weren't like that, but your kids are going to love it, <laughs> you know? Um, but Dad always loved this one. Dad, li Dad liked Last Action Hero. And the thing that always elevates this movie to me is that even though I definitely agree, I think, like, rewatching it yesterday, the flaws were more pronounced than they used to be when I was younger. Um, you know, there definitely is, it kind of belabors the, the cliche jokes a little bit too, too frequently for my liking at times, and we kind of go around in circles in the fictional world before we get into what I think is the really interesting stuff. And that's when the characters start playing with the magic ticket and get brought into the real world. Um, it's McTiernan's direction. I, I love John McTiernan. I think really? he is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think he is the greatest action director ever. Um, you know, like you don't come away and do fucking, what is it? The, the Humphrey October, Die Hard. Uh, also, Die Hard, Humphrey October. Um, Predator. Predator. Um, Last Action Hero, and um, in that kind of like, and Die Hard with a Vengeance as well. Like that's an incredible streak. Obviously, Medicine Man was thrown in there as well, but you know, I've not, I've not seen that one, so I can't comment. Um, but the the way this movie is directed is fascinating to me because what McTiernan really nails is you have the artifice of the '80s hyper ridiculous kind of Hollywood LA that we have, uh, and it's like basically like a planet hollywood restaurant the, the colors like pop it's very like saturated Vibrant. Yeah, yeah yeah it's like you got lots of hot pinks lots of reds even um jack slater's outfit it's very blocky you've got the bright red yeah. shirt you've got the kind of like you know the, the the colorful like jeans the snakeskin boots the brown jacket yeah i said as soon as um he came onto screen because the movie opens with a scene from jack slater three mm -hmm. um playing it very over the top you've got the stereotypical like shouting chief tina turner's there as the guest spot there <laughs> and stuff and as soon as schwarzenegger comes out as jack slater with a cigar in his mouth i immediately turned to him when he's giving full dirty harry clint eastwood he does have the scowl going on the one thing that just came into my head then when i was describing the color stuff is that that might be a subtle way of indicating that things are simpler in movie land. You yeah. have, you know, everything's easily defined. Every colour has its place. Like, everything's blocked into one thing. Whereas when, you know, they shoot New York in this movie, it's kind of... It's it like Gotham. It's like Gotham. Like, <laughs> it's so grimy. We're, we're, we're back to back on you and comparing, like, action movies to comic book <laughs> stuff. But it is, it feels like it's come out of, like, a Burton or Schumacher Batman film. It's murky, it's grimy... And it's, like, flecked with streaks of neon. Mm -hmm. And it looks beautiful. And the rain in this movie is great, too. Again, Tango and Cash, great rain. <laughs> Last Action Hero, great rain. Um, but yeah, like, the, the, McTiernan knocks it out of the park for me with this one. Like, the action itself is a little bit hit or miss. Um, but by and large, they get they get a lot of fun set pieces. There's in. a lot of really great over the top moments that they get to play with because it's a movie within a movie. So there's a scene where like they're driving down the street and they're just throwing dynamite at each other. Every single car on the street <laughs> is blowing up. Our favorite henchman Al Young there, and he gets killed by an ice cream cone that smacks into the back of his corner phrase. <laughs> yeah, honestly, and it's uh, Arnie's there then lighting his cigar with the the light, lit dynamite and then throwing it out the car. Um, it's so over the top. They have a full Christine moment oh, where they're playing yeah. chicken in this tight alleyway with two cars coming against each other. Um, honestly, the action in the movie world of Jack Slater is so wonderfully over the top and camp. And I, al I almost wonder, like, looking back at when this came out and people not liking it, it's so clearly over the top that it's like, how could you not perceive it as anything else other than loving homage? Mm -hmm. like, there's literally so many points in this movie where they reference things like Die Hard and he's falling off a building in slow motion. There's a great homage oh. when it, when um, his second cousin Frank's um, uh, bungalow kind of blows up after he's a bomb sets off 
when he's slowly looking through cards going five, <laughs> four, and, he's, and he keeps reading them as if he's expecting something different. Also, in a, a great death line there when he's like, talking about uh, these mob bosses teaming him and then just going, oh, I'm out of here. And he yeah, just like yeah, dies. Yeah. Delivering the essential anyway, information. A big bomb goes off. Two police officers fly into the air. One falls into a tree branch and goes, oh, I was two days from retirement. And then you hear a... Like a full-on lethal weapon, like saxophone, and it's like you wanted Danny Glover here, but he probably said no. Yeah, it's a shame that they couldn't get him for that because it would have been if those two cops were Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, it would have been so much. Been so it funny. like you, if you found a way to integrate Lethal Weapon into it, because there's a lot of Warner Brothers stuff in this anyway. Yeah. Lethal Weapon is Warner Brothers. Correct me if I'm not, if I'm if I'm wrong, but um, yeah, like that. The the tropey elements here are really funny. Like they really do lean into. Um, with affection, and I do kind of wonder if maybe that the affection here was too affectionate for that. Because, like, I, I definitely agree. It feels like it's something that that maybe went not went over people's heads, but even the last action hero was taking the piss out of how action movies can occasionally, occasionally be a I, bit. And vacuous. Schwarzenegger himself, yeah, in yeah. Those roles. Um, it's still done with affection. Like, it's it's very clearly like you know you wouldn't have like McTiernan and, and Black are like the two. Like those are the two biggest driving f- progressive forces in action cinema in, in the late eighties, yeah. and um, yeah, I wonder if maybe people looked at that and they thought it was a lot of self wankery. Well, it's because it's quite tonally dissonant. Like you have this really grimy, you know, New York. This kid who it's only implied, like it's it's you kind of wish it goes more into it. It's heavily implied he goes to the movies and enjoys action movies because maybe his dad showed him these films and he sees father figures in um the projectionist of the 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 cinema but also you know this action hero you can imagine maybe his dad showed him like arnie movies growing up and stuff look danny danny is the fellow we love dad movies yeah truly truly (laughs) um uh, but then it's like oh he gets there with a magic golden ticket given to him by houdini and immediately it's like okay yeah and that and there are other elements of the movie world where it's it's trying to be Roger Rabbit. It's trying to be overly meta and it doesn't quite always gel. So mm-hmm. a lot of the over-the-top action movie trope homages and parody works. Like, you know, when they're driving down the street casually and there's loads of like accidents in the background and stuff as they're just casually talking in a car. Like, that's funny. But then you get to the police headquarters and you've got people in like dominatrix leather police uniforms. <laughs> Diabolic. And, yeah. and rabbi police officers and grayscale Humphrey Bogart and a talking cartoon cat voiced by um, Danny, DeVito. Danny DeVito. And suddenly it's like, okay, are we parodying action movies or are we parodying movies as a whole? Because this is... In the Jack Slater movie universe, you wouldn't see the talking cat. Yeah. But he does exist in the movie universe itself it's a bit confusing yeah no totally i agree i think it, i think the it doesn't it's not as laser focused as it should be that being said i'm always going to be there for the police chief being like reacting with incredulousness <laughs> coming out when when danny dares to question the cartoon cat. Like, that's one of my best officers <laughs> <laughs> like i i'm a big fan of that but yeah no like it's um it last action hero is a lot going for it i think we need to talk about the um the the opening salvo of trailers as well before they show. Oh yeah, Jack- you just know, you just know that Tropic Thunder saw the Hamlet trailer and like we need to do this <laughs> Look, for our movie. I the visuals in that honestly Hamlet, it kind of slaps. It looks great. Like something's rotten in the state of Denmark, <laughs> and then like to be or not to be, not Sh- to be. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. good. You killed you know my father. That- 
big mistake. Because you know that they totally would have wanted to make that kind of movie mm-hmm. if they were going to do something like that in the 80s or 90s. And Arnie probably would have done it. Mm. Yeah, no, I would, I would have watched the shit out of that. <laughs> I absolutely would have. But yeah, so after Danny gets sucked into the movie universe, we're introduced to our main villain of the piece. I mean, to be fair, we could probably talk more about the opening introduction where they're showing Jack Slater 3. Mm-hmm. And we get Tom Noonan's... Um, so good. What's his character's name? It's the, the... Ripper. The Ripper. And I... I, the Folks, the Ripper is a ripper of a character. He, he's, he's almost straight out of, like, a Sin City comic. He looks great. Um, and it's, it is proper slasher of Jason. And I guess it, it makes those Dirty Harry comparisons even more pronounced because... Obviously, in the original Dirty Harry, he's going up against fake Zodiac. He's going mm-hmm. up against Scorpio. And while Scorpio isn't a raincoat-wearing mm-hmm. hatchet man from an 80s slasher I- movie, he is kind of like... You know, it makes sense for that to this, be a thing. This ornate axe that he puts together, like oh. a sniper rifle, bit oh. by bit. Yeah. And he's such, it's such a great look as well. Partly because Tom Noonan has a very interesting face. Uh, we were both fangirling before because we found <laughs> out that he played Dollarhide in uh, Manhunter. Yeah. Um, and was also Frankenstein's monster in Monster Squad, which is where I recognised him <laughs> from. Um, but he's got such a look about him. And he truly is, like, you could totally buy him in, an, in a quote-unquote real jack slater movie as this sicko villain who's there holding all these kids hostage in a, in a in I an love elementary that school bit where, they're, where they're on the roof and he's like throw down the gun jack he throws out his <laughs> jack slater is carrying a massive desert eagle in this movie by the way it's ridiculous and hence the acdc song yeah. <laughs> um, and then he's like <laughs> unsheathing all his other guns. Yeah. Um, From every area possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then he throws the grenade to his his boy, and it's a knife grenade. It's a knife grenade. Yeah, yeah. Stabs him. Um, so we have that, and then we introduce the main villains of Jack Slater Four, which is the one that they're they're in, um, which includes Charles Dance as Benedict, who is the stereotypical. 80s British classy movie heavy. You know, he is the guy, like if Anthony Quinn, by the way, forgetting that Anthony Quinn is in this movie as well, which is ridiculous because he's one of the most legendary actors ever and I did not recognise him for a second in this. It was kind of wild to look up after and go, oh, that's Anthony Quinn. But yeah, Charles Dance plays Benedict and he's the the typical classy, suave, kind of like, oh, you fucking idiot. I've seen this all before. Yeah, and he's got his massive revolver He's, his whole gimmick is that he's got, like, different glass eyes that he wears for different occasions, and some of them are even exploding. <laughs> yeah, some have smiley faces, some have crosshairs on them. Um, it was quite interesting, before we got on the, the pod, we mm. looked up some facts about this movie, and they did want Alan Rickman for the role, which is quite... You can see that in the mm. character, um, but Rickman turned it down because he wanted more money, and so they got Charles Dance instead, uh, which led to him coming up to set wearing a t-shirt that said, I'm cheaper than Alan Rickman, oh. um, which is very funny. But I don't think Rickman would have worked for this no, movie. No, I don't think so either. I think yeah. he would have too much of a presence, I think, yeah. in that role. It, it, it would have been too much like, well, this isn't movie movie land anymore, kind yes. of in a way. Like, even though Arnie is there, I feel like for Jack Slater 4, Alan Rickman would have been too good for Jack Slater 4. Yeah. He would have been there for Jack Slater 1, maybe. Yeah, maybe, yeah. But not Jack Slater 4. He'd be doing different things by then. But Charles Dance (laughs) slaps so hard in this movie. He's having so much fun. And the stuff with his character is so so interesting. We talked about it when we were watching it. He's kind of a reverse of Danny. Mm -hmm. He uh, manages to get a hold of, of the ticket and he discovers he can go into... 
the real world and it's a great moment where he's like putting his hand through the wall and the twilight zone music mm-hmm. starts playing as he turns and looks at the and camera and then he looks at the camera yeah no it's great because the whole thing with Danny is that he wants to escape to the movies because he can't cope with his real life yeah and you know that that is you know it's, it's implied through the loss of his father it's implied through the fact that the part of New York he's living in is a bit rough. There's, there's, you know, people like hustling and like shoving him on the street and stuff. Well, he it's gets, not, they break into yeah, his house. Yeah, someone breaks into his house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so not a good time. it's not a great time. So he clearly, you know, he's not interested in school either. So movies for him, he wants to escape from reality. Whereas for Charles Dance's character as the underling, the heavy of this who's movie, so sick of who's his sick boss. of being, you know, lectured by his boss and, you know, like having the... the... It's 180, you imbecile. <laughs> if it was 360, I'd come back to where I started. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So he's he's got his own sense of dissatisfaction with his reality. So to him, going into the real world is this big, this big kind of like, oh shit. This changes everything. Yeah, really. and what they can do with that is really fun, but unfortunately they don't do mm. as much with it. But it's such an interesting idea, this idea of a movie character coming into the real world and realising the power he has, especially when he realizes, <laughs> which I quoted earlier, he can realises, I can just kill people and no one cares. Yeah. Because in the real world, bad guys can win. I like the idea as well that because the character is written smart, that means he cottons onto the fact that he has a very... Because he he's a very logical villain. Mm-hmm. He instantly cottons onto the fact that Danny is not in the movie. Mm-hmm. Which leads him down the path of questioning everything and then eventually you know, getting the magic ticket and escaping. Yeah, he knows that the money that Danny gives him is clearly fake and he goes burn, you know, Mm -hmm. burn the money and stuff. Yeah, he's very quick to realise that you aren't from around here and everything you're saying is not quite right. Whereas all the other characters are like... He so what's so what's interesting is that all the other characters in the movie, um, Danny's saying, oh, pointing out clear tropes like, oh, you're going to say, I'll be back because that's the thing that you always say. Oh, I overheard these mobsters talking and they're like, how do you know that? And he's like, um, I just overheard them, I guess. Um, but but Benedict is immediately like, no, I'm not buying any of this. I'm not buying any of your bullshit. And that's what makes him so compelling is that he is so much smarter than quote unquote the main villain and it's his chance to take over the story. Yeah, exactly. Because it's never his story, is it? He's he's designed to go out in the third act in a big yes. fist fight with Jack. You know, he's he's not meant to not meant to get a happy ending. And that's why, you know, all the other the hero characters in the movie are so complacent because they're they're so used to winning. They're so used to getting everything. Um, and it's just, it's just really well handled. I think like, even though some of the, the tropey kind of jokes, um, don't always work. The one thing I did find interesting on this rewatch was how it tackled misogyny in 80s action movies. You know, it has like the whole thing where quote unquote, every single woman is stunning. And like, Danny's like, look at this place. There's no ugly women around yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. So they're in the blockbuster and stuff. And, um, like Schwarzenegger's like chatting up pretty much everyone. And then... There's a poster of Sylvester Stallone, Stallone as yeah. the Terminator. Which, again, a slight tangent. I always love and appreciate how whenever Arnie is taking the piss out of Sly in his movies, I always feel like it's kind of affectionately done or hilariously done. Whereas whenever Sly takes the piss out of Arnie in his movies, it's always kind of like a little bit like, oh, I just fucking hate you. Obviously, they're <laughs> friends now. And the rivalry was played up a little bit, but I just found that funny. Um, but yeah, when once, once Jack crosses back over, well, crosses over into the real world, and he meets Danny's mother. 
and they start having an actual conversation. It's kind of a funny, you know, commentary. And the whole thing is well, they have um, they have his daughter as well, who's like like seventeen or eighteen or whatever. And the whole thing is like she's constantly screaming just when the mm. the villains come in. Um, but she knows martial arts. Yeah, yeah. She to be a tough. And girl. then like there's <laughs> that bit where the first car chase they have, and they they um, crash into a random sexy art nouveau kind of oh, like, yeah. photo shoot yeah. and all the girls are like running ah, away like that like yeah. it's, it's there's kind of like a knowing wink to that yeah. trend in in 80s movies well the movie itself gets a pass but i just found it interesting how it did kind of like that that was a feature of the film yeah. the movie itself overall the movie itself yeah. does not pass the bechdel test yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah like every woman in the movie universe is is, is gorgeous and, and then there's a bit where benedict's in the real world and like a sex worker comes up to him and he's like how old are you yeah yeah <laughs> like because he's not used to seeing that as, as his character yeah well he lives in glamorous la as yeah. well doesn't he um but yeah like the, I, I like i like these aspects of the film even when they're not you know perfectly executed no and and there's so much of it that is that borders on being almost too over the top and i've mentioned some of the things that i think kind of take me out of it because it's a little too whimsical and trying Mm. too hard to be this meta roger rabbit type thing it's like are you parodying action or what are you doing here Mm. like there's a whole bit where this mobster has been taken out and he's called leo the fart (laughs) and they're gonna let off a a gas silent but deadly (laughs) a nerve gas at his funeral on top of this las vegas-esque like building on the top floor where all the Italian like mobster stereotypes are, then they all carry guns <laughs> and even like, grandma, yeah, even <laughs> even a nun that's there, and it's like, oh, Leo the fart's gonna pass gas one last time, <laughs> and like they like pull his finger to set off the like the timer on his watch for the nerve gas, and it's just like I I'm fully here for it, I'm fully here for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One other thing that I I. I picked up on when I, well not picked up on but when I was watching this yesterday again I was like this is my Fableman's because we've talked a little bit <laughs> we've talked a little bit about like the affectionate elements here because obviously even though it is taking the piss out of the action genre and these are the action genre ma- ma- maestros McTiernan and Black doing this um obviously there's going to be affection in there and I like how even though it's primarily about action movies there's a lot in here about Hollywood and mm. and filmmaking and cinema and um, the kind of like power of movies and I really I'm a sucker for stuff like that. Um, the story itself I kind of wish leaned heavy more heavily into Danny's kind of home troubles, but I guess that it does what it does. It's there in the background for those who want to look for it. Well, not really look for it, but it is there well, and it will add to it, your watching experience. Yeah, because one of the characters in the movie, I forget the actor's name, but the character's name is John Practice. Mm-hmm. And Danny immediately <laughs> clocks him for being like, oh, he's the actor who was in Armadeus he and killed, killed Mozart. Mozart. And it's like, it's a one-off comment, but it's like, oh, Danny's seen Amadeus. I've not seen yeah. Amadeus. But clearly it's not just action that he's into if he's watched something like Amadeus and you almost wonder, like, what else does he interest in? Because the Hamlet uh, parody yeah. from earlier, it's because he's late to school and he watches this old um, clip of Laurence Olivier's um, mm-hmm. Hamlet and he immediately starts imagining what if there was an Arnie version of it. And that's his way to kind of 
work around movies and to help him un- understand and make sense of stuff that he's going through and all he knows is through like tropes and stuff there's a bit where he's on a bike and is like oh i can't die in a kid i'm like oh wait no i'm the comedy sidekick that's not actually uh. guaranteed for me <laughs> and so that's how he makes sense of everything and it is so it is very subtle. It's the same in the second half where Jack Slater comes into the real world and he has this moment of, my son died. So his son dies at the end of Jack Slater 3, killed by um, the, Ripper. the Ripper. And he's there with Nick and Danny and, and is like, well, my whole life, all this pain I went through, that was your entertainment. And it tries, the movie tries to have this like really deep kind of meta moment about mm-hmm. it. Um, we were racking our brains to try and figure out like where we'd been reminded of, of that before. And it is an actual trope. Yes. Um, that, that name I, of which I, I, I'm now forgetting. I'm not going to repeat a, th- a specific trope name from yes. TV tropes, but it is like, it's, it's a, you know... It's, when a character realizes yeah, that they're... Yeah, sentience. That, yeah, it's Doki Doki Literature Club is the easiest thing I can think it of. It happens in my... Star Trek a bunch yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, um, So... You almost wish they really dove heavier into that because the Benedict villain character gets that some great moments with with that um, where you know he's killing people and is looking around like oh I can just kill anybody and he hops into other movie theaters to take to oh, threaten to bring in other movie man, villains. He looks, he circles the advert for Bram Stoker's Dracula, and we were like, please, please bring Gary Oldman into the real world. Could you imagine if they managed to get him in? Oh, that would be so. Good. I mean, there's lots of cameos from people like Sharon Stone and um, the T. T one thousand. Yeah, well, it's like Robert Patrick's in there. Jim Belushi shows up at the premiere. As Chevy, Van Chevy Damme, Chase. Chevy Chase. Um, Timothy Dalton. Apparently. Timothy Dalton. Yeah, you can kind of glimpse him in the background. Um, but that kind of that leans into the point that like it is, it's about the glamour mm-hmm. and writs of Hollywood, and how that marries with real life. Um, and like, it's just one of those where I can see that maybe if they had more time, they would have been able to really hone in on those different elements and make it a more a, a much tighter picture i still think what's there is very very entertaining and very good um but i definitely see i definitely would like to have seen this version the version of last action hero that wasn't on quite as rushed a schedule um and then we talked about the this last night but your favorite part of the movie is the second half when they're in the real world yes. my favorite part is when they're in the movie world purely because i feel like they flesh that out so much more mm-hmm. when you get into the real world you have this brief um, talk about you know Jack Slater's character getting used to you know listening to to uh, classical music for the first time because he's only ever heard rock yeah or metal in 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 the movie universe that he's been in um he's there going well everything I know is a complete and utter lie how do I deal with that and then they just kind of brush it over and he's happy to go back to his movie world and is fine at the end um it's it, it's strange it it feels like I'm not saying that I need it to, to be really deep and existential but it feels like if you're gonna touch on that you might as well do a bit more with mm. it i feel mm. um or they go over as well like he punches like a car window and he's like ow that hurt and it's like yeah because this is that, the real world the, the, when they so the one thing that that jack is his trademark move in the movies is um his like he plays chicken with his opponents yeah. <laughs> so when he plays chicken in the real world I love the way McTiernan shoots this because <laughs> it's almost documentary style. Yeah, Danny's there, like, like stood from the back. It's almost like you've wandered into a news report. Yeah. Because the camera doesn't stay with, with, with Jack. It stays with Danny as he's, like, <laughs> freaking out, being like, what the fuck are you doing? Don't do that. And you and just see them crash. Up. And I love the way that the, the violence switches. So mm. Jack Slater 
four is a PG thirteen movie. I think yes. they confirmed. They they explicitly mentioned so yeah. Arnie the can't actor, say a certain word. Yeah, Arnie yeah. the actor in the movie. Um, Arnie playing himself in the movie notes in an interview. He mm. says, "Oh, we only kill forty eight people in this movie compared to one hundred and fifty in the last yeah. one." So, but like yeah. they all, he also tries to get him to say a dirty word. Yes, but like the whole thing is that it's meant to be a PG thirteen. So when people get shot and die in oh yeah, yeah in in, this, in yeah. when they're in the movie world. Um, there's no blood. There's um, Alion takes an ice cream cone, sort of metal ice cream cone, to the back of the head, and is and is killed. Whenever Jack's shooting people, yeah, they like vibrate and do the random thing and go, but there's no blood. At least as far as I can remember, there's not any blood. But when they do that chicken scene in the real world, and um, the the kind of the butler is driving the car. You see in the background, not even the foreground, just in the background, after Jack's kind of walked away, thanks to the airbag engineering, um, <laughs> you see this guy slumped through the windshield, just blood, blood all just down bl- the bonnet. Uh, and it's a great. And you pointed it out. To me, you pointed it out to me, and I was like, "Oh yeah, like this is this is kind of cool." And like... it, it gets even better when Jack takes a bullet, like to the chest or mm. to the to the stomach, um, in the finale. And he's like writhing in pain, mm-hmm. frothing with blood, clinging onto dear life in the back of an ambulance. And it really does. There's a great contrast here between, you know, fun Hollywood violence <laughs> and, you know, painful real life violence. Like, and I like how Last Action Hero doesn't shy away from that. Mm-hmm. I think it's very effective when it does lean into those moments and that and the benedict stuff because there's literally a bit where benedict straight up just punches danny in the face and he starts crying and it's like Ooh, oh yeah. it's a fake cry oh like, it's still yeah. like effective like in that moment i was like oh my god yeah like, yeah but it's great i love that i love the contrast and i love benedict kind of figuring things out in the real world like mm-hmm. that scene where he witnesses a mugging and he realizes, well, basically, I'm not the main character. No one's the main character here. I can just watch this unfurl. Mm-hmm. Um, and he realizes that that everything is kind of no, well, everything's it's a, New York. Yeah, it's, it's, everything's a bit city of crime. Everything's a bit bleaker and, and and you know, it's easier for him to blend in and live his best life. Be essentially. a little sicko, yeah. There's so many great fourth wall moments with him, and it's because I think he really steals the movie and is is better at delivering that meta commentary than Arnie, I mm. feel. Um, there's a bit where he's waiting for them to come through like the mansion after he's killed his boss and he's just there taking a drink and is just staring directly at the camera. Fully like <laughs> House of Cards, like talking to the audience. And as soon as that happens, I was like, oh, this movie is changing gear and I'm fully on board for it. But then they can't really do too much with it. And he dies pretty quickly in the finale as well. And then Ian McKellen comes out as death. Um, and, and then suddenly the movie changes gear again. It's 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 odd. It's very it's very strange. The ending of this movie. Yeah, but it's one I, again. I, I find it really strong because if you're gonna bring out Ian McKellen randomly to to play Death from the Seventh <laughs> Seal, and what I love most about that is that he does it with like full theatrical. He fully commitment. commits to the bit. Yeah. Like it's um it's like when Lucas hired Guinness for Star Wars. Like he's. He's fully committing to the part and and delivering, you know, all the spoken dialogue with like his Shakespeare company levels of <laughs> of like commitment, and he's really really good in that. But we should probably talk a little bit about like Arnie meeting Arnie mm. as well um, before we get too heavily into the ending because 
I read some really interesting reviews on Letterboxd for this the other day, talking about um, almost like Arnie is grappling with his own filmic legacy. Now, this is a thing that I've used that phrase before, but specifically for Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven. And I'm a big fan of actors using film to kind of really discuss their impact on on the on the form the medium. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily what's going on in Last Action Hero. I do think it's just a case of, you know, it's like in Looney Tunes Back in Action. When I Brendan, didn't think you were going to pull that out, but sure. When when, when Brendan Fra- when when stunt double Rick meets, meets Brendan Fraser, it's yeah. not Rick. I don't forget his name. I, and I think it is Rick. But yeah. he's Rick and the Mummy as well. Oh, yeah. Well, when whoever he meets Brendan, Brendan Fraser's Fraser. character's name and is, and he's there like as a prima donna. Yeah, and he like... and he's like, I, I hate you, and he punches himself in the face. I kind of think that's what's happening in Last Action Hero here because Jack Slater meets Arnie in real life, and he's like. Um, all you've done is bring me pain. Yeah. And I think that line in that moment is meant to be funny because it's kind of like, oh, he's an actor and Jack Slater is living all the tragedy that mm-hmm. Arnie has performed. Um, but there is, it's, it's kind of interesting, especially, you know, almost as an omen for where Arnie's career went after Last okay. Action Hero because he didn't... Correct me if I'm wrong, you know, there wasn't... This was kind of... There weren't many hits. I mean, there there were obviously good Arnie movies that well, came out afterwards. It was switch into comedy from that. Well, point. he did comedy. Well, there was comedy before them with stuff like Twins and. But the nineties was where it was very like family friendly. I'm trying to Kindergarten like, Cop come out before this. Uh, Kindergarten Cop, I wouldn't. Yeah, it's not obviously yes, a family kinderg- movie. Well, but... Kindergarten Cop came out before. Yeah, it came out earlier. It is much. That movie is much darker than and I give it credit. True Lies for. came out in because this is one. This yeah, is a but the you other. get like the jingle all the way. You get um, the pregnancy movie later oh, in the nineties yes. as well. Yeah, I can't yeah, yeah. remember what that what that movie's called, but you get you get more. more okay, True Lives is ninety four as well. So there are still there are still great Arnie moments in the nineties, but it's very much it's interesting in that way. It's 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 like almost heralding an end of an era for him. It's also making fun of Arnie within the movie. Like he's got his his wife there and she's saying, do not talk about the restaurants. (laughs) Do not talk about this. And he then starts talking about Planet Hollywood. And she's like, what did I tell you about advertising? He's like, wow, there was a great opportunity to talk about. It's funny though, because Arnold, you know, he's always been, one thing that that is, again, I'm I'm gassing up Sly and Arnie here, is that they're incredible businessmen. They are great performers and talents but they're also incredibly smart salespeople. and i was watching an interview for last action hero before we recorded earlier on i think it was like an mtv segment where it's him and austin o'brien um talking to the presenter and the presenter asks you know what drew you to last action hero and he immediately flips that around and he's like well i think this is what uh, the first thing that comes into my mind is what do people want to watch mm-hmm. and this is what i think people want to watch they want to what they want to watch action primarily they're also into comedy but they also enjoy the you know like hollywood movies and movies about hollywood almost mm. so arnie has always approached a lot of these projects and the idea of what is the audience looking for which I find, I've kind of gone off on it. I've forgotten where I started this point. <laughs> it was definitely relevant when I started it, and now I've kind of gone off into a complete tangent. But the idea of like, oh, the Planet Hollywood thing, yeah, like it, it's kind of it's 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 taking the piss out of him being a businessman and salesperson, mm-hmm. like a Hollywood salesperson in a way, and reducing himself from just being an actor to being a salesperson, which mm-hmm. is very harsh because Arnold Schwarzenegger is a fantastic actor and performer, but he is also a great businessman, and I like kind of how 
it takes I, I, again I, it's we went over this the other week when i was talking about when, we, when me and dan were talking about kurt russell and the idea of actors taking the piss out of themselves it's great i like the humility here and i just thought it was interesting reading that review yesterday when i was talking about arnie last action hero they didn't use the comparison to unforgiven but essentially kind of being like you know looking at arnie's you know previous action roles and and considering that that impact, I thought that was quite an interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because when you look at the Jack Slater movie universe they've created, so that this is the fourth movie that's coming out, and I mentioned this to you earlier, but in real life, the only bunch of sequels that Arnie has done that many of would be Terminator, which did not success successfully after two after two did yeah. not successfully you know make. Uh, profit or you know review well either um so jack slater is almost is the, this what he what he wants to do is this the kind is this kind of his pipe dream of i'm gonna be so so big that i can be in the fourth movie of a franchise and people are reviewing it as being so good and it's still making all this money and i've got all this star power not in a in a um, egotistical way but as in looking at like how big of a star he could be because Looking at what the Jack Slater movie universe is, it's not really a role that I would see Arnie playing. No, not at all. Um, outside of maybe, like, the closest you'd maybe get to his actual repertoire would be maybe, like, Red Heat or something well, to that effect. Well, Raw Deal would come to mind for me, but that's, like, one where he does just play a cop. Um, and, yeah, no, it, it, def- it definitely feels like he's embod- he's meant to be embodying the many different action it's kind of cl- he's meant to be action guy it's isn't very he? lethal weapon it's the closest the jack slater universe would maybe get to peppered in with a bit of like bond flair really yeah it's it's definitely it's a fusion of things it's definitely a fusion of things and i think it's interesting that arnie embodies the role of slater when you're right there isn't there isn't a slater arnie mm-hmm. out there you know there's no one he never was that he never played that kind of role no, he was always military men or like sci-fi characters. Like he—that's the one thing about Schwarzenegger is that he—he he had a great range of performances and characters in his repertoire. Um, and it is kind of interesting that you're right. Like it doesn't feel like he, because yeah, no, he—he he only did what there's the the Terminator sequels and there's the Expendables sequels. Yeah, and he only has a cameo in the first Expendables. So technically, I think you know, <laughs> Expendables two is like the one big movie of that franchise that he was in. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um. I don't really have much to add to that because I just I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's just an interesting point. Yeah, this is cool. Um, but yeah, we should we should move on to the ending and discuss all that. So um, after Benedict makes it out and is there doing his whole thing where he's like, "I just shot a man, and I did it on purpose." <laughs> hey, keep it down out there. <laughs> yeah, and like no one cares or whatever. And he starts going around to different movie theaters. What should have been him? assembling the movie Can theater you imagine if they masters of evil committed to that though because so he he breaks out the ripper from jack slater 3 by showing him the the film reel and being like this is how you die yes. you want to get back at jack slater yeah. yeah um and i love i love tom noonan's expression in that scene when they're in the diner and he's just kind of like Ugh. <laughs> it's very funny um, but after that all happens, and 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 they basically the whole plan is to assassinate Arnold Schwarzenegger IRL, so, yeah, so that Jack Slater can't exist if his yeah. actor is murdered. So you have life. that whole great thing where like they're at the premiere. You've got cameos from Van Damme, Belushi. You know, every, everyone's there, 
Um, I think M- MC Hammer's there? MC Hammer's there because he's yeah. like, oh, so I'm on the soundtrack for five, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then also, yeah, so that's all going on. The Ripper's there. It's, it's a great moment where he gets mistaken for the real Tom Noonan and Tom Noonan's agent is like, like, what are you doing? Oh my God, you want to be typecast forever? Jack Nicholson didn't dress as the Joker for the Batman premiere. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then obviously the Ripper kills Tom Noonan's agent. Um, (laughs) And we have that whole thing where, you know, Jack saves Arnie from being assassinated and then Arnie jumps on him and is like trying to recruit him to be a stunt double or, <laughs> or open businesses and basically do all the boring shit he yeah, doesn't yeah. want to do. And he that's when he has his little confrontation where he's like, all you've done is bring me pain. It's like <laughs> such a hard line. Um, but the Ripper escapes to the rooftop. Captures Danny. Captures Danny. Um, Arnie is able to get him by... After he throws Danny off the building... And then he like, clings onto one of the gargoyles from Batman Arkham Asylum. <laughs> um, Arnie gets the, like, the, just random electricity poles and, like, yeah, and plunges it into the, the floor. The puddle, yeah. And then that, that basically gets the ripper all nice and toasty. And then that's when he rescues Danny. Uh, then Benedict shows up. And we have that great moment where he's just firing shots maniacally, explaining, conforming to the bad guy trope of explaining the plot. Oh, he literally says, like, and because I'm going to win, I might as well explain the plot. Yes, <laughs> I love uh, Charles Dance's delivery in this. He's is so, so good. good. He's so fun. He's firing all his shots, uh, and then he fires one, and it's a click. And, it, and Danny's like, oh, they forgot to reload, because they have to reload in, in the real world. And he's like, ah... I deliberately left one chamber empty. <laughs> He's such a little scamp. He's yeah. fully like a Daffy Duck, like Bugs Buddy. Like that's what he has become in the real world because like, he knows the power he wields. It's like an AI. Like he is fully gained sentience and has learned all... He's, he's like an Ultron. Like he's learned all the tropes instantly. Truly, just Monica. Just Monica. Thank you, Doki Doki Literature fans <laughs> out there for understanding that reference. <laughs> I'm not sure how big the crossover is. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. Maybe that one person. <laughs> just Monica. Yeah. Um, but then he shoots Jack in the gut um, and then as he's riding around he kind of he, he takes out his, his gun and shoots his exploding eye shoots his exploding eye mm-hmm. uh, and the ticket falls onto the ground into a different theatre <laughs> which is showing the set like it's, it's it's showing the seventh seal and Ian McKellen walks around yeah he's just deaf and he he never goes. They never show him going back into his movie. movie no, so either. he's around. So he's just out there now. I kind of wish that instead of showing the seventh seal, they were showing Bill and Ted to, um, oh, bo- yeah. you know, their, their bogus journey. Yeah, yeah. And then it would have been the death from that going yeah. on, and he would have had his little his little base. Yeah, yeah. I would have enjoyed that <laughs> a lot. But yeah, he starts walking around. He had that great bit where he taps that guy on the shoulder. He's smoking. He's like, <coughs> and he just dies. <coughs> and I think. You know, even though it is kind of random, it's great because Ian McKellen fully commits. Yeah. But also, it's there to it's there to show Danny the value of living. Like yeah. he basically says, like Danny, at that throughout this movie, the reason why Danny keeps on escaping from his reality is because he hates it and he thinks he has nothing to live for. And movies is where he should his mind should be. Again, this is all implied. Yeah. yeah. And then death goes to him and is like, no. You don't die yet. You die a grandfather. Yeah. And he kind of realizes, oh. I have my whole life ahead mm. of me, so I really do like that moment. Yeah, the, and then you know they get the, they get the other end of the ticket through the ticket stub through like the box. Yeah, they he push him back. He pushes him back into the movie, and 
I was there getting like a little emotional because he's there with, with, with Jack Slater and going, I want to stay here with you. Dad. You mean so much. Yeah. <laughs> you mean so much. You mean so much to me. And it's very, again, it's all implied. And I, I don't know if I would would have even wanted the movie to bang it on the head to make it more explicit, but it's very clear. Why couldn't Jack like, Slater stay in the real he, world? He, he, he was really into his mom. Yeah. He could have stayed there and been an Arnie double. Imagine having Arnie in that tiny apartment just knocking over the furniture. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm oh, so sorry. Oh. <laughs> but like, it's, so, it's very obvious the Danny sees this kind of father figure mm-hmm. in this fictional character um, and Jack's like no you gotta go back out there and, and do you and then you know cartoon cartoon cat police officer comes out and like medic someone get in here right now mm. and then they're like this is just a flesh wound so, I wouldn't even call it a flesh wound yeah so, so um, and then again that's kind of weird when you know Jack's so cool with being back in his movie universe and then you see him talking to his chief being like shut the hell up I'm the protagonist you can't say shit to me you're the comic relief <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and so you almost I do wish there was maybe some more existential crises from Jack's character but the movie ends on a nice little little note of him and uh, Nick um, Bob Prosky's character kind of leaving the cinema together yeah. and uh, you see Jack Slater kind of wave to the camera as he, as he drives off mm-hmm. um, so it's a it's a love letter to the movies and like the movies it's not perfect but it sure is fun yeah it's very fun I I, I really like this movie and over the course of this chat and, and kind of diving into the themes of like you know Danny finding you know that that kind of father figure in the movie it is kind of a perfect dad movie mm-hmm. like it's 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 as someone know. as someone like you who all his favorite film yeah. genres come from your dad showing them to yeah. you it's clear it, it's very clear that you know a lot of people would empathize and relate to that yeah totally but yeah that was that was last action hero a I much think. more emotional chat than yeah. perhaps anyone could anticipate with a movie called last action hero but yeah i just want to reiterate um don't don't let the narrative get this one down for you. And I don't mean that in a way of invalidating all criticisms of this movie because there are criticisms and I definitely would see why people would not like this. Um, but ultimately, I just think it's one of those that, you know, pe- it kind of released at the wrong time. I just think that, that if this movie had released maybe a few years later... Um, but then again, I don't think so because I'm also like, I think this works releasing in the zenith of action movies, like, you know, the, the action movie peak. Like, you know, like... 93 was also a big year for like we just stopped like we said at the start of the podcast 93 was a big year for action cinema and dad movies and i think it works within that context but i think that maybe after terminator 2 people just really wanted another banger serious schwarzenegger film and this wasn't it and yeah it's flawed but it's i, I i'm a big fan well there you go that was the wheel of dad movies podcast episode on last action hero thank you all so much for listening before we go, I want to give a quick shout out to our patrons. Thank you very much, George Jackson, Thomas Mulgrew, Shaka, and Josh Brown. Remember, you can go and support the podcast on Patreon, where We Love Dad Movies there. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at We Love Dad Movies. You can follow me on Twitter at Ewan Ruins Things, and you can find my letterbox at Ewan Patterson. Um, where can they find you, Zan? Uh, in the void, holding this little popcorn bucket named Vinny. I'm, I'm good- going to the lobby. I kind of want to get Vinny in the art now. Oh, absolutely. We need to get Vinny in the channel yeah. art. Yeah. He's adorable, guys. He's adorable. He's going to be a star, I tell you. Yeah, He's going to be a star. Find the picture on, on Ewan's Twitter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is this has been the Wheel of Dad Movies podcast. Um, next week, 
I don't know what's next week. I've got two things coming up. I forget which order they're coming up in right now. Uh, a few more new time, first time guests coming onto the podcast. Um, covering both fantasy and the Western genres. Um, and yeah, I'm just really looking forward to diving into more 1993 anniversaries. Because there are a lot coming up this year, folks. We've got Hard Target. We've got The Fugitive. We've got... Tombstone, I believe, is 1993. Please tell me it is. I'm going to be very upset if I've gotten this wrong. I'm going to double check right now. Tombstone, 1993, yeah, 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 Tombstone, yeah, yeah, yeah. 1993. Um, and there's even more after that. The Firm, God, 1993. I wish I, I want to go back to, like Charlie XCX said, I want to go, go back, back to yeah. 1993. That's definitely the year that she says in the song. Are you going to play us out with the tango and cash theme you've been singing all day? Oh, yeah. This is Dan's fault, by the way. <laughs> We'll see you next week, folks. We'll, we'll, we'll see you next week, folks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>